Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane, joined by Sean Martin. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Where can they find you on Twitter, Sean? Hey guys, I am at Sean Martin NFL. Come on in, join the conversation. That's right, and you can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and at blogintheboys.com. It's part of the Blog and the Boys podcast network so sean um the first wave of free agency has washed ashore in the dallas cowboys world what do you make of it so when i used to work in college radio we had you know we had a lot of fun with different drops and stuff right if i had a cricket noise drop i would love to use it right now yeah that would that would just about sum up the first week of Cowboys free agency. And I know, you know, other podcast hosts on here will say, if our network, as you mentioned, will say, you know, oh, well, you should have expected this. We teed you up for it. You know, why, why were you expecting anything different? And then maybe others might say, well, Jerry himself told us that this was going to be different. And then, of course, we can come back with, well, why would you believe Jerry <laughs> is going to actually, you know, truthfully make a difference here when this has been the way they've operated for 20 plus years and even beyond that so add all that together and yeah the Cowboys didn't have the cap space to feel like they could even be players at the top of free agency if they wanted to not that they have in such a long period of time and they sat here and watched other teams get better and you know now I think finally at least some of the good news is they they got better in and of themselves with some of these second wave signings and getting the rosters sorted up and giving themselves a clearer picture of this draft where I think they can really help themselves. So things are improving, but other teams sort of took a big step up and you would just love for one of these years to put Dallas in that group and say, well, you know, to see what they did in free agency. But I don't think James Washington or Dante Fowler moved that needle very much. Yeah, I don't either. And I think that in bringing in Washington and Fowler, I think it again goes in with their compensatory formula and trying to win the compensatory battle because they only bring in two outside free agents. They let Randy Gregory, Cedric Wilson get out of the building. Um, Connor Williams, he goes to Miami along with Cedric Wilson. Of course we know Randy Gregory to Denver, Um, but (laughs) uh, really I think that that's what, Dallas was trying to do what and they really do it every year is they try to win the compensatory battle so that's why they only and then they sell the fans on well we we were very active in free agency we uh franchise tag Dalton Schultz signed Michael Gallup brought back 
Malik Hooker, Noah Brown, Jake McQuaid, and Jeremy Sprinkle. What are you talking about? We weren't active in free agency. We like our guys. Yeah, we like our guys. There's certainly the trademark around here, and it's come up in this offseason period with, you know, the way that I brought it up in our in our staff channels, you know, the way that it feels like this year when you sign your own guys, they're really signing them for two reasons, because you desperately need them, which isn't a good position to be, you know, bargaining with your free agents from. And also as you've gotten these guys, you know, back on the roster and back into starting positions, it feels like these positions are where you're going to be asking a lot of them, you know, as opposed to, you know, oh, we want you back because we know you can do X, Y, and Z, but also we're going to go look at this free agent that can do these other things. And then you guys will compete and we'll bring the best out of both of you and, you know, figure out exactly who needs to be on the field as opposed to knowing that Michael Gallup has to be on the field because who else do you have? And knowing that some of these draft picks from last year that really didn't show a whole lot, it's not time, you know, right here in March still to say that they have to be on the field, but it sure feels like maybe we're heading that way unless they get pushed off by, you know, even more draft picks. And then it's like, hey, this team's supposed to be in a championship window. What's if all these first and second year players, you know, starting games, but that's kind of the situation you've put yourself in with who you've re-signed. You're going to be asking quite a bit of all of them. And we've seen what they can do, so we know what their cap is and we know, you know, the comfort level some of these coaches have with them. But at the end of the day, I think we all believe that you have a coach also working for his job right now. So we haven't had the chance yet to ask Mike McCarthy how he feels about all of this, but those days are coming and it's going to get real interesting when, uh, you know, when he starts addressing the media. Yeah, and one opportunity where that could happen, we'll have to see how they do the NFL owners' meetings uh, this year. But usually at they have an NFC, AFC coaches breakfast at the owners' meetings. That may be an opportunity if they're going to do it when you could hear from McCarthy again. Uh, if not then, then certainly during the uh, pre-draft presser, there will be those questions coming up. But uh, it looks like the Cowboys may try to bring back, and, and again, this is one of those scenarios that I don't think plays out too well for them, is where there's a they don't bring back J. Ron Curse, but it looks like Keanu Neal is going to go back to safety and and the Cowboys bring him back as a safety. So again, it's one of those uh, bargain basement type deals as opposed to doing what you need to do and bring back J. Ron Curse. Yeah, I think in theory this should get you excited a little bit as a Cowboys fan when it comes to this current situation at linebacker because there's definitely some uncertainty there. There's the expectation that Mika Parsons might not be able to play as many snaps there. Uh, as you might need him as a pass rusher to help ease the loss of Randy Gregory. So, you know, you brought back Luke Gifford, and that just circles right back to liking you guys. And as I just said, maybe too much to an extent at times. And he's kind of the perfect example if you're seeing him play snaps. And, you know, even Leighton Van Der Esch finished the season pretty strong. So there's some optimism there that you got him back on a team-friendly deal. And I do think Van Der Esch can still help this team. So I was happy to see that. But nonetheless, you know, Neil – Going back to safety, I think other teams can look at that and be like, hey, you know, this Quinn guy is pretty good at figuring out linebacker because they had a, you know, we just signed this guy as a safety and now he was a pretty good linebacker last year. So now can he do it again with someone else that the Cowboys might bring in? 
in the second or third wave of free agency or a late-round pick in the draft because I don't think many Cowboys fans are too excited about having to go linebacker early in the draft. So that's kind of the uh, your hope when it comes to Neil, you know, only playing one season into position, but Quinn got a lot out of him. Yeah, and we'll get into that a little bit more about if the Cowboys draft plans changed at all, given what happened in free agency. But uh, I, I think that just when you look at what happened in this free agency period, uh, I, I think that if Randy Gregory would have gone to the Denver Broncos, and that would have been it, then it would have been, oh, gee, well, good luck to Randy, and he, we wish him well. But I think with the added drama of, oh, the clause in the contract and all of that, I think that it really was another part of the pattern of dysfunction that has plagued the Cowboys since the post-game press conferences of the wildcard playoff loss. Uh, and I think that it's it just, again, another bit of drama, another bit of off-field losing, uh, another bit of just, like I said, dysfunction that otherwise tainted what I think people would have expected out of free agency to begin with. Yeah, what makes the Gregory thing so frustrating is that, you know, other teams when, and the Cowboys have done this at other times, you know, I'm not going to back them into a corner here and say that they've never operated like this. But teams mostly operate on the philosophy that if they really want a player, they find a way to get them, whether it's the right idea or not to go get that player. When teams lock in on players, they find a way to execute and get that player. And then, you know, if it costs a coach's job along the way or a GM or anything like that, then, you know, those things happen. But nonetheless, that's how you usually win in the NFL by having that conviction to say, this is the guy I want to go win with. And if it works out, you know, that's how you can have long-term success without having this crazy amount of roster churn that the NFL rules currently, you know, allow for. So the idea that you lost, you know, a starting pass rusher, which is such a premium position, the starting right end that finally gave you, you know, consistent production to a cause and a contract, it's just, you know, it's just insane. I mean, we know that the stories came out that the only other player who doesn't have this in his contract, the Cowboys, is Dak Prescott and, we could be here all day arguing, you know, is Gregory worth the same as Prescott when it comes to getting that type of treatment or things like that. But nonetheless, if you're Steven and Jerry Jones, and it was even kind of some rumblings of reports that this fell on Steven to an extent, but then also Steven deferred it to another front office member and Jerry overseeing the whole thing didn't get a chance to step in, which he was upset about. But if you're both looking at this saying, you know, how do we let this player get away? for it to be a technicality and to leave you with yet another roster hole. It was just, you know, organizational malpractice. Right. And again, like I said, just part of, um, you know, doing things wrong, uh, having a misstep, just all of the things that have happened to the Cowboys since the wildcard playoff loss, which is funny because, in 2022, 21, rather, 21, um, it seemed like Dallas was doing everything right. It seemed like they their free agent picks were hitting, their draft picks were hitting, 
their second-year players, like Trayvon Diggs, for example, uh, weren't having sophomore slumps. It just looked like everything was going well. Uh, just And then, I don't know, the calendar changed, and everything off-field for the Cowboys in terms of building a football team has just it's had a little bit of dysfunction and I just wonder if they would if these feelings would still be here if they had lost in the divisional round as opposed to at the wild card at home you know yeah it's almost like they're trying to make us forget that the wild card game even happened which isn't going to happen you know but they sat here after the after that game and pounded the table so hard that it was going to be a catalyst for some real change and how just how disappointing it was. But now everything they're doing, the only way they can make it look good is to point to, oh, well, look at everything else we did good last year. You know, we were really close, guys. So if we were that close this year, of course these moves like second wave free agents and signing our own guys can get us over the top because we were so close. We won the NFC East. We won 12 games. We scored 50 points at Washington and Philly's practice squad. You know, all these things can come up now because we're so far removed from the wild card game. But again, you can't just erase the wild card game. That was a game where you got out coached, you got out schemed, you got out played, and you know your offense, where all your cap space is, creating this these problems right now, didn't do anything for the better part of three quarters. All of these things happened, and there's nothing you can point to right now to guarantee that. You know, they won't happen again in a big game for this team, and that's certainly frustrating. Right, and so they do have a hole, and it's a defensive end with Randy Gregory going to Denver. So now that he's in the AFC West, who's the next row of shark teeth that could come in behind Gregory and be effective in 2022? So again, I think you know every discussion when it comes to personnel with this team right now is so predicated on we like our guys, right? And you know, I know there'll be some fans listening in their car or wherever they listen to are so you know rolling their eyes at that. And believe me, I'm right there with you. But you know the plan has to include some of your current names. Parsons is a good name to include. I think we all like what he does as a pass rusher, and that might be his most valuable trait going forward with this team. So that's all you know, good and fine. Opposite to Marcus Lawrence, they left end who was able to help you cap situation with his restructure and extension this offseason. So you have those two names. You have Dorrance Armstrong back in the fold. It was such a Cowboys signing to make sure you brought him back. But there wasn't you know, a sense that some other teams are going to have interest in Armstrong to finally realize his potential in, in a new uniform. So it's nice to have him back, and he's kind of that guy that can float around in the A-gap and do some different things as a rusher that Quinn really likes to do, disguising his defenses. So I do think it's important to get Dorrance Armstrong back. And then you, then, you yeah, then beyond that, you're looking pretty far down the line in terms of, you know, Chauncey Golston, I thought did some nice things as a rookie, but I'd be wary of giving him too many snaps, right? Also, Diggy Zero on the interior did some nice things. But you got to see how he develops before you just hand him, you know, a much bigger role, which they're doing up and down, not only their free agent list, but their 2020 draft class. And then you brought in Dante Fowler, who... You know, I watched some of his tape, and I thought he was a guy who kind of got fatigued as the games went on. Didn't necessarily have that rust plan where you wanted to see from the first quarter to the to the fourth 
if you're working against the same tackle, you know, can you set them up with a move? But it was a lot of just repetition and relying on speed and things like that. I do think he can help this defense quite a bit. His run defense is a plus, tackling in the open field, all that. I do think he's going to make you know quite a, a few splash plays for you. But again, that's in a rotational role, ideally. I'm not in on this Jason B.O. Paul buzz. You know, it'd be so ironic to have to bash this team for finally signing a big name because we bashed him for not signing big names, but Jason P.O. Paul isn't the right one. So I think you're looking at Parsons and Lawrence being uh, kind of your primary rushers, Armstrong being asked to take a really big step up, and then guys like Golston, Fowler, or Diggy Zua, uh, and the likes of them just trying to make the most of playing in a pass rush uh, friendly scheme under Quinn. What about Terrell Basham? He had three and a half sacks. Last year, he played in all 17 games. Do you think that he's someone that could maybe fill the some of the Gregory role? Because I don't know that you're actually going to be able to fill what Randy Gregory did, but maybe in the off-season workouts and in OTAs, you can find someone you can at least feel like that you're filling some of the role of Greg that Gregory leaves behind. Yeah, Bassam's an interesting one because I feel like the Cowboys have had kind of a long run here of defensive ends that probably fit better as a left end, and Bassam might be one of them. But Demarcus Lawrence has, has had such a stronghold on that position that you know players have to adjust to maybe playing out of, out of position or out of scheme, and some have done that much better than others. And you know, to Bassam's credit, like you said, he did that playing 17 games still, so that's a testament to his veteran presence and all that. So, sure, I think he can fit into that puzzle somewhere, but you, know, you just keep adding names to the list that I already gave a second ago, and it feels like we're talking about a Rob Marinelli defense again where you know, he preached having a big rotation on the defensive line and never really got the results out of it that I think he would have liked in Dallas or that we would have liked as fans. So I don't know if I'm sold on the idea of constantly having to you know, replace – one really good player, which you had, Randy Gregory, with just a wave of guys who aren't as consistent or you know don't have that, like I said, a plan from the first quarter to the fourth to be able to set up the players they're going against. And you know those things are important when it comes to defensive end. Right, and they mentioned that Dante Fowler was someone that Dan Quinn had in Atlanta, but he only had him for five games, you know, and then he got fired. So I, I don't know that Dante Fowler is necessarily a, a Dan Quinn guy, you know what I mean? Um, and, and I feel like he's somebody that they've brought in because they probably liked his film when they were scouting him when he was coming out in um, 2015, you know? And now's their chance, and they, it finally lines up, and they get to uh, – they get to sign him. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't feel like they're really getting someone that can play opposite of DeMarcus Lawrence. It's like you said, it feels like just another kind of Rod Marinelli defense, uh, have a rotation type of thing. Yeah, I think every NFL team kind of fell in love with Dante Fowler's tape out of Florida, I and mean, he was the prototypical, has every trait, checks every box, whatever you want to say about him. It was there for Fowler, and the physical attributes match that. So to that extent, he hasn't reached his NFL potential, and 
you know, like you said, who knows if Quinn's the guy to help him get there, considering they don't have this deep history together that some fans are thinking that they might. He was a freshman on Florida's campus when Quinn was a defensive coordinator there, so they have a little bit of that tie together. But, you know, nonetheless, we're talking about trying to win NFL games here, and you need a pass us. Randy Gregory gave you that. You lost him because of a paragraph and a contract, and now here we are talking about, you know, Dante Fowler, who he's been on. This is his third team. Go ask his two previous teams if they felt like they were satisfied with their ability to win games, thanks, thanks to the pass rush. When he was there, the Jaguars haven't won a lot of games. The Falcons, you know, sort of the year they went to the Super Bowl, haven't won a ton of games. So, no, the pressure isn't on Fowler to go single-handedly win games. That's not what I'm saying. And, of course, Parsons, I think, is a big part of the plan to help, you know, fill these guys in below him as a rotational pass rusher. But it's just such a Cowboys move to make us talk about, you know, bottom-tier free agents or second-tier free agents and hype them up to extents that, they almost can't live up to. I mean, we did a whole segment last week on best case, worst case, and I took kind of the realist approach saying that best case might look something exactly like this. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I called this, but I said best case would be looking back at this past year's free agent class and seeing that you got guys that actually started games and played pretty well, like your curses and kneels and all that, and trying to find some of the same. And I think that's a pretty difficult thing to count on. I think it's difficult to say year to year that that's how you're going to build a roster. But nonetheless, the Cowboys are confident in Fowler and James Washington. Uh, you know, Washington's a guy that can hopefully help see the LM play more in the slot. So there you go with liking your own guys again and just trying to get the most out of them. But that's what the Cowboys are going to do in free agency. And it's going to be the same for, you know, not only this offseason, but, you know, years to come, it seems. It's just the way that this roster is going to be built and we better get used to it. Right. And with the way that the roster is being built, I, I wonder if they are counting on Micah Parsons to fill some of that Gregory role because they saw, Oh, well he was excellent at uh, rushing the passer. He almost set the rookie record for sacks. So, uh, let's go ahead and just have Micah Parsons rush. So then you take your linebacker role, like you were talking about earlier, and then you have Luke Gifford fill in some of that. Also, Jabril Cox will be coming back from his ACL. They re-signed Leighton Vander Esch. I wonder if they're going to force Parsons into more of a pass-rushing role as opposed – so he's doing more of that as opposed to – being the utility guy, which is really what made him dangerous on the defense. Yeah, you mentioned some good names to linebacker. You know, I do think you can get a lot out of you know the Giffords and the Vanderesses and and make this work because because of what you have in Quinn. But man, I worry about the speed you're losing at the position. I mean, here we were last year talking about you know Neil, a guy who plays pretty fast, and Coase was practically a linebacker in this defense and. He had good range and instincts at the position. And then Van Der Esch was in a rotation behind that to give you a different look. And then Gifford was mostly a special teams guy. You know, and Cox has some good speed, but he's coming off the injury, right? So now you, I feel like you're talking about just a lot of, you know, you're losing that anticipation ability and some speed and some athleticism. And that's not what Quinn's defense is all about there on the second level. You haven't really done much defensive tackle to – help keep interior offensive linemen from climbing up to these linebackers, whoever's going to be starting there. So, you know, you don't, you don't want to be weak in the middle of a defense. You know, baseball is getting started here soon. I'll make the baseball analogy. 
You know, they always say if you're building a team, go up the middle, catcher, pitcher, shortstop, center field. You don't want to be weak in the middle of your defense. And, you know, the Cowboys aren't there yet. They got the names that they think can step up, but you'd sure like to see some upgrades at both defensive tackle and linebacker. Right. And that's why with Gregory going, you have to believe that they think they've got somebody on the roster or that they've got a solution for it. Um, and they may find it in the draft, though. I, I'm doubtful with that because it takes just a little bit for pass rushers to get going, especially if they're not going to be someone in the first round. Uh, if they're going to be, you know, later on in the draft, it's just going to take a little bit to develop them. And really, I think with the moves that teams make in free agency, it kind of signals where they may go in the draft. But Sean, I mean, with how bland Dallas was in free agency, it looks like their plan for the draft is best player available. But, you know, they're deep in the first round to where they're not going to have many best players available. They're kind of getting get pigeonholed into taking a, a particular position group. They've definitely gotten closer to that best player available approach, like you're saying. And I think that's a good thing, though. I do think that's how this team operates, is they try to set themselves up in free agency to go BPA, and it's gotten the results for them. I think they're inching closer towards feeling a lot better about taking an offensive lineman. And even if they didn't make these moves, they better feel good about taking an offensive lineman because the need it left guard and swing tackle and center is pretty glaring. So those things weren't going away in free agency. You know, certainly in one fell swoop, you can't add three starters to an offensive line in free agency that haven't played together and expect any better results than you were getting out of, you know, guys like Connor Williams, who's now with the Dolphins, or Io Collins, who's now with the Bengals. And it's kind of unfortunate that you couldn't get a trade for him, but that's another topic. But yeah, it does feel like the Cowboys are, setting themselves up to go BPA, but with a smaller stack of players that could be available. There's not a lot of consensus so far about how the first, you know, 23 picks or so are going to fall. It's To say it's not a great quarterback class is an understatement. I mean, it's shaping up to be a very weak quarterback class. You can't count on, you know, a run of quarterbacks to save you as a team that doesn't need a quarterback. So that could hurt you in a couple of different ways. And or we could see, you know, positions positions that they weren't planning on taking anyway come off the board. You know, we'll, we'll all pretend to throw our pen at the, at the TV when Jordan Davis gets drafted, you know, let's say 15th or something, knowing that they probably wouldn't have taken him anyway. So that pushes another player that they would have taken down the board. And I'm still pulling for it to potentially be an offensive lineman. I think they're setting themselves up to feel like they can feel better about it being an offensive lineman. But – there's also receiver, defensive end, linebacker, uh, a lot of other spots where you can think about. And I know defensive end and receiver, where they just added free agents, but it's past time for this team to consider, you know, not having to have these outside free agents step into big roles right away, not having to have your internal free agents step up. That's what's even more you know, confusing about kind of the way they approach this when other teams aren't valuing your free agents. That's that to be a sign internally that – you're overvaluing them, and also that you're overvaluing draft picks, which every team does. But when you put those together, Dallas is really guilty of, you know, doing these things to kind of hurt themselves. And it's why you can't 
consistently be a winning franchise right now. What's funny is by every August, th- those same players that are getting overvalued will be even more overvalued. Because then it's like, uh, I don't know how Dallas even pairs down to a 53-man roster. They just got depth everywhere. Yep, yep. I'm ready for that. I can't wait. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Depth, depth everywhere. And then they, uh, you know, have to cut some people. But uh, I think that um, with the way that the roster's setting up, it looks like they're going to take a chance with the younger guys on the defensive line and with bringing back Dorrance Armstrong, and they're going to say, that's it, we got it. Um, With linebacker, I don't know if they would go with a linebacker again in the first round. Um, I think it does shape up with a Kenyon Green pick with an interior offensive lineman at that 24. If they could trade down and get their guy and still pick up an offensive line, because that's what you did with Travis Frederick in 2013. Maybe they try something like that. Um, But I think that it does look like offensive line would be the smart pick there. And even if Traylon Burks were available, I don't know that I would take him at 24. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, going offensive line and this team needing an immediate starter. And that's, of course, been a great place for them to find one and it's been a consistently, you know, strong position to take in the first round across the NFL and get those types of results. I've written multiple articles on our site, bloggingtheboys.com, about how trying to pigeonhole, pigeonhole yourself to a defensive end is one of the worst possible things any team can do, especially the Cowboys right now, if you want, if you don't want to set yourself up for disappointment in the first round. You know, you're just not going to get to production typically, especially down there at 24 from a defensive end to feel great about adding to your roster, especially if the draft is your main way of adding to the roster like it is for the Cowboys. So to get themselves out of that, if they are going to trust the young guys like you believe the plan is, uh, you know, that's certainly an approach they can take to feel better about going off at the line because, you know, I'd sure love to have Kenyon Green uh, in a Cowboys uniform. You know, I have a scouting report up for him on the site. It's got some film in there, and really it only takes a couple plays to kind of grasp what you're seeing with Green. Just plays at that mean streak, tenacity, gets after it. Gets to the second level, plays with balance, power in his hands, throwing guys around. The full package is a guard, potential to swing a little bit the tackle. So the Cowboys all have their deaf guys and their versatility. All that is still very much in play here. And Green being a Texas A&M product, I think it's firmly uh, going to be pretty high on their board. Do you think that Green could go? Like, do you think Green could go before Dallas's pick though? It's possible. I think Trevor Penning is the offensive lineman that's played himself out of range more so this uh, this draft cycle. He was an early guy that would get mocked to the Cowboys, and now you're not seeing as much of that because he's moved his way up. So I think Penning could be that guy. And, of course, all it takes is one other team that was sitting there waiting for Penning to panic and switch over to Green. So, you know, you could see Green go before 24, but – Sitting here today, I'd feel pretty comfortable that he makes it down there just because there's so many other positions that are pretty strong that don't have the depth in the class where teams are going to feel like if they pass on 
the linebacker they like or the safety they like or the receiver they like, they're not going to feel as good about who they have in the second round. Because offensive line's a little bit deeper in your stack this year. So if the Cowboys are locked in on green, which we, of course, don't know yet, or if they even will be in the first place, I think they can feel pretty good about him making it down there to 24. Right, and this particular draft, with it not being quarterback heavy, it kind of makes it uh, very fascinating. And also, you've got teams in there that don't need a quarterback. Uh, Really, the only team that needs a quarterback, like the first team off the board, you could say Carolina at number six overall. And then you could say Washington at number what they got Carson Wentz and uh, I've seen mock drafts where Malik Willis goes number six to Carolina, and then the next quarterback doesn't go off the board until 18 to um, to the New Orleans Saints, and it's Pitts, Kenny Pickett. So I think if you could have if, – if somehow Evan Neal and, and Ekam Equinu can – slip to the bottom of the top 10 down past the top 10 in some way and just flood the market so that teams are looking at them uh, and possibly doing a position flex thing and then staying away from Kenyon Green, then I think it'd be very favorable for Dallas to take the Texas A&M product. I thought for a second there you would get a throw out a hypothetical where Iquan, we were the NC State tackle, makes it to 24, and I'm like, man, we're living in fantasy land now. Oh, there, uh, yeah, that would be, that would definitely be uh, fantasy land. I have a good friend that goes to NC State, and he's plugged in pretty well to a lot of their athletic programs, which is really cool to see. He's a big fan of the sports in general and, you know, attends a lot of NC State events, and he tells me some stories about Iquan that just back up everything that you could possibly hear about him this draft cycle in terms of the type of guy he is, the family he comes from. Checks every single box as, as a guy that NFL teams are going to fall in love with and know that he's going to be a cornerstone franchise type of player at the top of this draft. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is off topic, but you mentioned the phrase, check all the boxes. We ought to do a a segment on one of the podcasts next time and power rank our favorite football phrases like check all the boxes. Um, you, you know, go, guys. Yes. Due diligence. 
Uh, <laughs> I hate that one. Yeah, I, that, that, that one irks me, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. What does that even mean? But we're going to do our due diligence. There's no just, way to prove that, too. Like, you know, I'm not saying reporters don't like do their job, right? But like, you can tweet, you know, a team's doing their due diligence on anybody. And I, I'm not convinced you actually spoke to someone. Like, you know, Stephen Jones isn't texting any of us back that would, that, with the words due diligence in there that they're working on it. Like, so we all, we just use that as like a catch all for, you know, eh, maybe they'll do it. Maybe they won't. And that's, that doesn't count as a report. Even as we get closer to like these quieter parts of the off season, due diligence does nothing for me. I would like for someone, instead of saying due diligence to say, well, we're just winging it. Yeah. But like that would be more truthful though. Like you know, a for honesty on that one, you know, because like, most teams are, you know, they're, they're looking at the guys they're looking at, and if a guy's off the radar, they're probably not talking about him. But another one of my favorites is high upside. Oh no, I like. I, mean, I used to talk draft, you know, all the time on these podcasts and my college show and all that, and we probably used to so the, the term upside a lot. So I don't mind uh, throwing that one around in the right in the right context. Yeah, um, another one is bang bang. When they when they describe an instantaneous play, it's like a oh, baseball thing. Oh, it was bang thing. bang. Uh, yeah, right. that, it's mostly right. a baseball, uh, you know, thing like a play at first base. You know, trying to get the foot on the bag in time with the throw. Use you know, you'll hear bang bang a lot with that. But yeah, def- it does come up in football as well. Yeah, definitely when they talk about instant replay, but we'll. We will have a segment on that in one of our podcasts later on, probably in uh, late June, early July, when we're waiting just with anticipation of someone getting suspended or arrested. <laughs> um, so now we're in the second wave of free agency. Are, are there any available players that you'd like to see the Cowboys grab? So you know what's fun is just being a general fan of the NFL draft is sometimes you watch, you remember watching a player and then, you know, I'm not so deep into it that I like follow the prospects that don't end up in Dallas that I liked, right? You know, obviously if a guy becomes a star or a big name in the NFL, you know about him. Or if they're playing the Cowboys that week, you, know, you do your scouting and your prep work. But nonetheless, you know, you watch guys and then they get drafted somewhere that you almost forget about and then you're like, was I right about him? You don't even know if you were right or wrong sometimes because you can't make a note to check on every single guy that goes in you know, these later rounds. So I have three defensive linemen for you, Mark. And the first one is a guy in the 2018 draft, which was held in Dallas. And that was a draft I did a lot of work on. And Arden Key was a name that came up a lot as a raw pass rusher. Had off-field issues, but if you could look past that, you were getting one of the best true pass rushers in that class, hidden gem type of prospect, speed off the edge, power, you name it. It was all there with Key, really just a physically dominant player that just made beating offensive tackles look way too easy sometimes. And he fell down in the third round because of those red flags. He was a pick by the Raiders and didn't do much there. So you could say a lot of us were wrong about his evaluation, what the off-field stuff just got to him. But he had a career-high six-and-a-half sacks uh, this season for the 49ers, so I don't know if they're going to let him leave the building there or how comfortable they are you know, with him moving forward. And Obviously, you have such a talented defensive line there in San Fran that Key might be a piece that 
you can't keep. But I was pleasantly surprised to see him on the free agent list because I had forgotten about him a bit. And seeing him with six and a half sacks, a career high this past year, that makes him a guy that could have some upside for the Cowboys to uh, to get another defensive end in here and deal with the loss of Gregory. Jerry Hughes is kind of in that same boat. No off-field concerns with him. He's started at least 15 games every year since 2014. And going back to 2013 and 14 of the Bills, he had 10 sacks each of those seasons. So he's not quite in his prime anymore. He hasn't put up those numbers anymore, but just a very consistent veteran presence. That would right, go. Let me just interrupt you. If they signed Jerry Hughes, he would be one of those that would look to get out of training camp. You know, at 34, don't you think? Oh, probably. But, you know, Quinn would, you know, be be on the field coaching up these young guys and his Bohannas and Odiggy Zewers and Goldstons and whoever they draft and that. And then, you know, the media would forget about it for a while. They want to ask him about Hughes. And then come week one, you'd have Jerry Hughes chasing after Daniel Jones. It sounds pretty good to me. Oh, so Giants Cowboys Week One. That's well, that, that's always a safe bet, isn't it? Yeah. Who's your third guy? Another veteran, Akeem Hicks, had three and a half sacks in nine games for the Bears last year. He's been a staple of some talented defensive lines, and I mentioned that you need to get better up the middle. He's a guy that can play some defensive tackle for you as well. So, I'd like to see Akeem Hicks potentially be a piece on this defensive line at the right place. I think Arden Key who you mentioned is probably the best because he found him, you know, he didn't do so well in Oakland. And then he goes to San Francisco and it opens up for him. And he was someone who I had two San Francisco games last year that I had the, you know, account for in some of my write-ups and everything. And so I think that he's someone that would definitely be uh, – that, that could help and feels like someone that Dan Quinn could play with and use in his toolbox. I think Quinn I – mean, I think Arden Key is someone that definitely they should sign. Yeah, you kind of have a lack of size in this defensive end group right now. Like you got a lot of these speed rusher guys, guys that can rush from a two- or three-point stance. And that's all great. You know, Quinn finds great ways to move him around and change the looks the offenses are getting. But, you know, at the end of the day, you don't want to be getting blown off the ball with these ends, especially if you lose a lot of range of linebacker, like I mentioned, when it comes to, you know, now Van Der Esch is going to have to go track down these plays on the edge or a guy like Gifford. So, you know, Key's a guy that he does have those speed rush traits, which is great, and that's how he got to six and a half sacks this year. He's also just a physical, thick body type of guy. Broad shoulders can hold the edge for you uh, from the from the weak side. So that would be exciting to get him in the building. Right. And the thing is, with the second wave of free agency, you're looking at predominantly older veterans and so forth. So I don't know that Dallas would even really sign these guys. They may bring them to camp. Uh, what Dallas and really a lot of teams are going to do is – they're going to go through their draft. They're going to get everybody in the building, and then they're going to see how their off-season program, the OTAs and the mini camps go, and then they'll determine. Oh well, we're real. We're still in a bind at this position. We need to go out and get somebody. Uh, so that may be where you see Dallas make some moves relative to bringing in 
second wave free agency guys. But nevertheless, uh, who I'd like to see them bring in is, and I don't know if he would be a progress stopper, but just in terms of being a deep threat, Will Fuller, I'd like to see them bring in Will Fuller. Because like I said, I think that he could open up the offense, take the top off the defense. and But, but again, it's commensurate with how healthy he is because he's really battled a lot of uh, availability issues just throughout his career. Um, another guy that they could bring in uh, is Jabril Peppers. Uh, he was someone who, you know, he had a little bit of success with the Browns. Uh, what could he do? if if Dan Quinn gets a hold of him. And really, this is kind of almost pet cat-ish, but it looks like wherever he goes, he's always involved in some key plays of some kind, and I think that he could help the red zone offense a little bit, and that would be Jared Cook. And those are my three guys. I have to give credit to you because I think you made the joke on a previous show with the whole – the Cowboys free agency approach can be summed up by trying to pitch a guy. And then Steven Jones says, Oh, we have that at home and it's a lesser player, but you brought up Will Fuller in my first thought, because he was a player that I was kind of pleasantly wrong about in that draft. I wasn't very high in him and he's ended up being a lot better than I expected and kind of sowing some consistency and, and doing a lot that I didn't see on his Notre Dame tape. But I, I couldn't help but think that, the Will Fuller at home is Simi Fajoko on this Cowboys current roster. <laughs> right? Yes. Sim- Simi Fajoko is the Will Fuller in terms of he's white bread and the hand ground uh, hamburger meat and a Kraft Singles and, and, and a pickle. <laughs> and there you go. That's your patty melt. We have it at home. And I have to ask just because, you know, we're friends and all. What's your stance on pickles as just like a as a as a food as a snack as anything? Because I have a very hard take on this, depending on which way you go. I don't care if you like them or love them. I love them. I, uh, I love pickles uh, on that's, that's everything. Sad. Yeah, I I hate pickles. They're, they're the worst thing ever. Uh, well, then what do you like on your burger? What do you get? I had a great one today with some. Uh, it was a mushroom Swiss, some onions on there. I think. Little little local spot here in Austin, some cold beer. So mustard and onions. No, no mustard. Uh, yeah, ketchup was on there. I'll do a bacon burger from time to time, of course. Back home in Jersey, of course, if there's any Jersey listeners out here, um, they they will understand the luxury that is a pork roll, egg, and cheeseburger. Just um, it is a delicacy because I mean pork roll on anything is great, but then you pork roll, egg, and cheese is a great thing as well, and then you put you know, a whole burger on there and it just takes it to another level. So there's a bar, uh, you know, that does those near where I grew up. Uh, but yeah, I'm not all that particular when it comes to burgers, just, you know, make it good and change up the condiments, but you definitely won't see any pickles on there. My nephews are disgusting and drink pickle juice. Like I'm not even like, as a, we beer. have pickle like beers here too. Like Texas loves pickles. I mean, that's not surprising, but like, man, it's like, there's, Pickle flavored beer and it sells and yeah, pickle yeah, seltzers. I, and, yeah. I mean, at a certain point, that's you know like pickle Rick. I just you know that's getting a little too much for me. I just like my serrated pickles sliced and put on a burger. So when I go through 
my favorite burger joint that follows me on Twitter. Um, I get meat, cheese, dry, with pickles, and then to be healthy, lettuce. <laughs> yeah, like you go to like a sandwich shop, right? And they give you like that whole big pickle with your side of chips or whatever. Like you, you can you can get that away from me. No thanks. Yeah. Well, I if they give a whole pickle, I don't know that I'm going to, you know, it's a little too sour for me. But hey, a slice, a spear, I'll take it. My silence is me disapproving of all things pickle, by the way. Yeah. Well, no one can disapprove of the analysis that that is on the draft show that we have here on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. It's Talking the Draft with Connor Livesay and Mark Schofield. You can hear that Wednesdays on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. Before we get out of here, Sean, let's go ahead and take a look at the Cowboys' birthdays for this week. We'll start off with uh, with Tuesday, March the 22nd, turning 53 years old, is defensive tackle Russell Maryland, who played with the Cowboys from 91 to 95, so that means he's a three-time Super Bowl champion. And a, one of the last times you can say they valued the defensive tackle position is kind of crazy when you bring up these birthday names the perspective it puts on today's roster when it comes to like, man, he was a great player. Why haven't we had anybody like him in a while? And, you know, they don't make many players like Russell Merrill and key part to all those Super Bowl teams, as you said, and a happy birthday to him. Yeah, and also turning 37 on Tuesday is Mike Jenkins, the Pro Bowl cornerback that Dallas drafted in, with their twin first-round picks in 2008. He played with the team through 2012. Mike Jenkins turns 37. Yeah, he had some interesting seasons with this team, kind of battled through some inconsistencies and some injuries, right? But, you know, he was always a guy that would play in the, right in the face of receivers and went through some scheme changes and all that. But you could always kind of count on Jenkins to just battle through some things and be that type of competitive spirit and tough on the ball. Those things were really valued around here. And then normally I wouldn't do kickers so much especially ones like this, but everybody... We need a kicker, though, Mark. Yeah, well, you're not going to want this one. Mike Vanderjack turns oh. 52 on Thursday. He was with the Cowboys in the 06 season. They fixed... Wait, wait, he, he, he turns how old? What? 52. God, I'm old, man. That doesn't feel right. I don't know. Something, something feels wrong about that. I feel like you... I don't know. Either you made a typo or I got to go, you know, stay at a wall somewhere. Well, uh, no, well, let's make sure... It's, yeah, he turns 52. God. <laughs> yeah, he, believe it or not, he f was first a professional kicker in 1993 in the CFL for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So he was around for a long time before he joined the Colts in 98. Yeah, that is a – the age is surprising to me there, but his Cowboys career was forgetful. Yes, and then on Friday, turning 24, is Tristan Hill, along with Mike White. He turns 27. Can we talk for a second how weird it was that, like, the part of the fan base, the Cowboys fan base, that, like, thought Mike White was the next great thing? Like, they have no track record at all of backup quarterbacks, but then Mike White, you know, completes a swing pass on, like, a preseason game or whatever it was that started this crazy cult, and Mike White was supposed to be the next best thing. 
How about the fact that they invited him at some sort of rookie symposium photo shoot thing to represent the Cowboys draft pick? I yeah, because he was because he was supposed to be like the next big thing, but I, obviously he wasn't. But well, yeah. here's a, here's the thing: they I think were right to take Mike White, as was proven with last year with the New York Jets. He could have been a serviceable backup for, but you had Cooper Rush. So you just so you blew a draft pick on a quarterback. You may as well have taken a kicker at that particular juncture. Well, the rush fan base is a whole other thing, but yeah, White, you know, coming out of Western Kentucky, you know, an athletic thrower, kind of a rhythm thrower type of guy. Once he got him going, he could really string together some completions, saw the field well, you know, can manipulate defenders from the pocket. There were definitely some positives on his tape. Yeah, for sure. I just, you know, with again, the value, I don't know that you take a kicker, I mean a kicker, <laughs> a quarterback at that particular place. And then on Saturday, this is really more of an in-memoriam, um, his 90th birthday, Dick Nolan, he was actually a Dallas Cowboy in 1962, but he's more known as being Tom Landry's first defensive coordinator until the great Ernie Stockner took over. But Dick Nolan, he was um, on the on those uh, early staffs that battled the Packers in the NFL championship games. And then he took over the San Francisco 49ers and actually helped them as their head coach with their, glory, their first glory years in the early 70s, but they would lose in, in the playoffs to the Cowboys. But Dick Nolan, uh, his 90th birthday, and of course he's the – father of Mike Nolan, the Cowboys uh, defensive coordinator in 2020. Um, Dick Nolan passed away November 11th, 2007. And then on Sunday, Doug Cosby, he was a tight end for Dallas from 1979 through 1988, and he turned 66 years old. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays. You know, you mentioned no one there, anyone that knows Cowboys history, knows how innovative Tom Landry's defenses were to the game at the time. And you know, here I go again mentioning something that was true then that we wish was true now in terms of having an innovative scheme on today's team. But nonetheless, Landry's defense, you know, I don't think it's a stretch to say really changed the landscape of the NFL at the time. And for no one to be a part of it, that was definitely a cool, cool thing to bring up. Right. But even Landry's defense became outdated. Oh, and- yeah. That's the thing with um, with the Cowboys and how it's felt is that they have just been in trail position since the obviously the Super Bowl era. Um, that they've just been oh behind the trend, like right when it gets popular. Oh well, now they're going to do it. Oh, the three four is just you know taking. Oh well, we're going to have the three four now. Well, we're going to call plays from the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah, now we're going to do it. Uh, But the Dan Quinn, that's why with Dan Quinn's defense, I think that's why everyone's so excited about it is it's actually coaching and innovation as opposed to just implementing something so we're the 20th team in the league to do it. Yeah, I don't think – McCarthy really has his whole wagon hitched to Dan Quinn this year, doesn't he? I mean, he – even said in a press conference earlier this offseason, though, that if he was a younger coach, he would have felt pressured by the fact that Quinn was getting other head coaching interviews and recommended that he take another job to kind of 
clear the air for you know McCarthy just to do what he does. But there's a sense that McCarthy doesn't have that kind of time right now. He doesn't have you know years to build this thing, and 2022 really needs to be a step up for him. And there's no path for the Cowboys to do that without getting a type of defensive performance that they got last year under Quinn. Right, and it's interesting that that happened because McCarthy did have a really great defensive coach earlier in his year. I mean, earlier in his career in Dom Capers. But Capers was past his, you know, prime at that point um, because he had proven that, you know, he got fired from the Carolina Panthers, albeit he had the success in 96, their second year in the league, and he couldn't get the Houston Texans off the ground. So he was just, you know, accepting that he was a head co- that he was a defensive coordinator and that was it. And not like a situation here with Dan Quinn cuz Dan Quinn people have seen people have seen that he can still coach and he may still have something left. And yeah, that is threatening for uh for someone. It's just the whole thing's going to be interesting this year and we're at the end of March and you've got a head coach in waiting in Dan Quinn. You got the shadow head coach and Sean Payton. I mean, it, 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 you can say this about the Cowboys. It's never a dull moment. Yeah. Hopefully that continues as we continue to do this. show each week, it's been a pleasure being able to talk Cowboys every Sunday night. And then we bring this out to the world on Mondays along with first and 10 on our network and, as we've teased, you can get two shows every single day right now on our network. So plenty to keep busy with on the podcast and on the homepage of bloggingtheboys.com. That's right. And you can find the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And where can they find you on Twitter, John? I am at Sean Martin NFL. And real quick, I teased last week that I was going to my first Texas rodeo. I won't spend too long on this, but I just want to say it was an incredible time. It was really awesome to see something so rooted in Texas tradition. Obviously, it's not the only state where you can go to a rodeo. I have a friend in Montana who mentioned that he's been to one out there, and there's other states as well. But to really see you know, everybody in cowboy hats and boots and the horse riding events and bull riding up close for the first time was uh, nothing sort of incredible to uh, kind of take in just how far I've come and to uh, to see you know, the pride Texas has was something that can only be described as you know, a Texas type of event was a truly an awesome experience. And what, what do you have like that in New Jersey? Do you go out to the, um, to the ocean or anything? What compares in terms of like an outdoor event, a spectacle, like, like the rodeo in Texas? Uh, man, that, that's kind of hard. I mean, New Jersey is known for being, for a small state, you can do a little bit of everything throughout the state. So like, people kind of pick and choose their, you know, whatever hobby or passion or pastime you might have, you can kind of find it based on where you are or how willing you are to travel. So like obviously summertime, everybody comes to the Jersey Shore and you got plenty to do with the beaches and the boardwalks and the carnival rides and, and the bars and everything that comes with being near the beach. So, you know, that's constantly an outdoor presence there. Down south, you have a lot of state parks and kind of more wooded areas and and natural scenery. So if like hiking and things like that are you're seeing, you can do that there. And as you get closer up into North Jersey, you're starting to get into the New York scene and things like that. So it's a very unique state in that, you know, it only takes 
kind of three hours and change to drive from top to bottom. And yet there's so many different aspects of things you can do if you want to be close to New York or Philadelphia or the beach or the woods. You have all that going on. But in terms of like a centralized event where you can, you know, hang up your hat and say, man, this is Texas Rodeo. This is New Jersey. Fill in the blank. Uh, Yeah, I'd say maybe the closest thing is collectively going to the beach. But that's only a few months out of the year where you really get that peak season for it. Uh, you know, of course, you have you know, maybe a Springsteen concert at Giant Stadium. Everybody comes together for that. Seeing Springsteen anywhere, I'm sure, is awesome. But I've only ever seen him at Giant Stadium where, you know, the Jersey Pride really comes out because it's mentioned so many of the lyrics of his songs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'd say down the shore at the beach in those summer months or maybe a Springsteen concert at Giant Stadium. You mean MetLife Stadium, right? Well, yeah, but any old-time listener out there would – or no giant stadium. Uh, so, so that's what I'm saying. You you saw Springsteen at Giant Stadium or oh, at MetLife uh, Stadium or well, both? Well, well, yeah, just MetLife. Uh, my family's seen them, you know, not only dating back to Giant Stadium, but, you know, some of the old uh, New York Met stadiums and things like that as well. But, yeah, I, I've only seen them at MetLife, uh, and it was a great time. All right. And we hope you all have had a great time listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So there it is. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.